Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. So I want to call your attention today to something that I find difficult to do, but really necessary, and something that I think many Christians don't understand the full extent of, and that is biblical, like a genuine biblical self-evaluation. Now, I know that if you go to a Christian bookstore, there's all kinds of basically self-help books on how to do this better or how to do that better. But I'm not talking about a self-help book. I'm talking about what does the Bible say Christians ought to do when it comes to evaluating yourself? I think a lot of Christians don't do this because it's hard. It's a very challenging thing to do. And really, let's be honest, we don't like looking in the dark corners of our life. We don't like peeking under the rugs. We don't like opening up the closets and having stuff fall out that's been uncared for. And so it's easy for Christians to bury themselves in their smart device, to consume their lives with activities, to fill their lives with activities, that is, and to just basically treat life as if, you know, we're just going along, everything's hunky-dory, happy, happy-go-lucky, we have Jesus, we're on Team Jesus, everybody. Team Jesus! Do you think that's how the Apostle Paul looked at his life? Yeah, I know it was tough out there today, but don't worry, we're on Team Jesus. I know, I think that Paul was really critical of himself and really considered how his actions affected others and really considered how he could change not only the good things that he did so that they would become stronger, but he considered how he would change his weaknesses, how he could change his flaws, how he could improve in his struggle and his fight against sin so that he would be more pleasing to Christ and more effective as a minister for the gospel. Now, I think that the secular world really understands that fractional gains lead to exponentially greater results. Let me say that again. Fractional gains, we're talking about like a percent of a percent, leads to exponentially greater results. And this is most obvious in our world when you start to examine sports. Sports is major, major business in the United States. In fact, every national league, whether it's baseball or basketball or football or hockey, operates in the billions of dollars. That's billions with a B. And they didn't get to that point by sitting on their laurels. No, they got there because not only the players, but the owners and the officials who operate and run the league continually examine the product that they are producing and see how there can be fractionally better gains. The athletes within these professions are also consumed with this task. In fact, one of my favorite athletes, and I'm 
kind of hesitant to go on the air with this, but I'm going to say it anyways, is Tom Brady. Because I think Tom Brady epitomizes the success that hard work and dedication to fractional gains can produce. Now, I think Tom Brady is incredibly gifted. He's obviously a superior athlete in what he does. He's maybe not the most gifted athletically, but for the position he plays, he's, uh, he's very good, right? Very good. What I find to be fascinating about Tom Brady is not his physical preparation because everybody in the NFL is spending hours a day working on their craft, perfecting a skill set, uh, getting stronger, improving their cardio, working on recovery. Everybody in the NFL is doing that. Obviously, some more than others, but everybody is spending hours doing that. I think what sets Tom Brady apart and what we've seen over the last number of years that really shows the kind of person he is when it comes to fractional gains is his revelation about film study. He has talked over the last number of years about how he spends a large percentage of his preparation just in film study and not just watching the other team that he's about to play. He spends a lot of time watching himself. And he has said on record that if he can, if he can eliminate one small tell, put it this way, if he can become one half of 1% better, those results can be seen on the field. One half of 1%. This guy does some serious self-evaluation. Now he's looking at things from a football perspective and he wants, he wants everything to be perfect in terms of his timing, in terms of his understanding of what the play is, of where all the players on his team are supposed to be and how the defense will respond to that. So those are all the things that he's thinking about. But he's most concerned when he watches tape on how he's performing within that. How does he perform when the pocket breaks down? How does he perform when he has to scramble? How does he perform when everything's just not perfect around him? That's where you become fractionally better as a quarterback That's how you produce results on the field that result in you going to the Super Bowl, what is it, nine times and winning six of them? That's something that Christians ought to think through when it comes to living a life of sanctification. That's something Christians ought to think through when it comes to asking yourself this question, um, am I being a true disciple of Jesus? Am I being a good disciple of Jesus? I don't know. Well, why don't you know the answer to that question? Well, because I've never asked that question before. I've never taken the time to do that kind of evaluation of my own Christian walk. Well, why not? I'm busy. You know, I'm just running the rat race. I'm trying to go to my kids' activities, I'm trying to be a good husband, or I'm trying to be a good wife, I'm trying to take care of things at work, I'm trying to take care of things at home. And we have a lot of reasons why we don't practice true biblical self-evaluation. Chief among them is time, but very close second is it's hard. It's a hard thing to do. And I think that's what Paul 
is encouraging believers to do. When you go to Philippians chapter 2, and Paul gives that wonderful explanation of how believers are to treat each other, that they are to be of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And then he says this in verse 3, don't do anything from selfishness or vain conceit, but with humility of remind, regard one another as more important than yourself. So put other people ahead of yourself, Christian. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And then he goes into that great explanation of the humility of Jesus Christ, that Jesus, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And he talks about Jesus humbling himself to become flesh, to die on the cross, because it was according to God's plan for God's purpose so that you and I could have salvation. And he says this, you know what? We know that in this life, not everybody's going to bow before Jesus, but someday everybody will bow. Then he concludes with this, every tongue will confess Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the call to self-evaluation. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul, what do you mean, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? You're not teaching me that I have to work for my salvation, are you? No, 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 no. That's not what Paul means at all. And if you happen to think that's what Paul means, go read Galatians chapter 1 and 2. That is clearly not anything that Paul had on his radar, is challenging people to work for their salvation as if they could add anything to it. No, what Paul is saying is work out your salvation. So there should be something inside of you, namely the Holy Spirit of God, who is affecting change in your life as you submit your desires to his desires, as you submit your desires to the truth that is revealed by the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. So what does this mean? Well, this means that as you examine your life as a believer, you ought to be comparing the way that you act, the way that you think, with the objective standard that is God's holy word. Let me say that again. You compare the way that you act, the way that you think, with God's objective and holy standard. And you work out your salvation, namely, that means to confirm that you are indeed of the faith. You are confirming that the profession of your mouth is indeed the action and attitude and the pattern of your life. When we talk about biblical self-evaluation, that's what we're talking about. Looking at your life compared to the objective standard of the Word of God and saying, does my life conform to this? And the answer is always, yeah, it falls short. 
it falls short because we live in a body that is still under the curse of sin. We live in a body that is subject to the creation, which is also under the curse of sin at the present time. So will sin be a part of the believer's life? Yes, it will be. But sanctification, true sanctification, is learning to sin less, learning to be more like Christ, despite the fact that you have a body that is under the curse of sin, despite the fact that you live in an environment that is under the curse of sin, despite the fact that the curse in Genesis chapter 3 says that there will be toil and difficulty and sweat all the days of your life. Biblical self-evaluation is a necessary part of the Christian life. For without it, how will you know whether you're becoming more Christ-like or not? Without biblical self-evaluation, how will you know whether your profession is a true profession or not? How do you know whether you're a wolf in sheep's clothing? How do you know whether you're a false prophet or a false teacher or whether you've deceived yourself? It doesn't take much time to go online and do a Google search on this subject. I thought I was a Christian, but then I got saved. Do a Google search on that. You'll find story after story after story of people who sat in church for years, heard good teaching for years, thought they were saved, but they weren't. And finally, God drew them through the power of the gospel so that they could hear and understand and know the truth. And they, though they had been in church, though if you asked them, they would have told you, I'm a Christian, they actually became a believer. The process of biblical self-examination helps you to know whether your actions are consistent or not consistent with the type of life that somebody who is a disciple of Jesus ought to lead. Now, the Apostle Paul is not the only one who writes about this in the New Testament. John, the Apostle, wrote an entire book on whether you could know that you were a believer or not, a true believer or not. The book of 1 John has seven tests in it that if you were to take these tests, if you were to ask yourself these questions, would reveal to you whether you are truly saved or whether you are not saved. I don't want to take the time in this particular podcast to go through all seven of those tests and explain them all, but let me give you the first couple from the book of First John. In First John chapter 1, the test is, what is your attitude towards sin? Do you believe that you have not sinned? Do you believe in perfectionism? Do you believe that you can no longer sin? Or do you have a true perspective on sin, and do you seek to confess that sin and ask God to forgive you for the daily sins that you commit. That's 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. 1 John chapter 2. Do you keep Jesus' commands? 1 John 2, 3 says this, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him 
and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Do you love to keep the commands of Jesus? Do you love the world? Do you love your brother or do you hate your brother? Do you practice righteousness or do you practice lawlessness? Those are four of the tests that are found in 1 John. And I don't want to take a lot of time to elaborate on them other than to make this particular point. The Holy Spirit and the writers of the New Testament expect believers to perform a biblical self-evaluation. Now, I want to make a a real strong contrast here between a biblical self-evaluation and the type of, I don't know, Freudian or secular psychology evaluation that a lot of people are prone to do. What we're not doing with a biblical self-evaluation, we are not looking into our past to discover all the answers and reasons why we are the way we are today. We're not looking into our past to say the answers for what I think and feel today are found somewhere in my past and something that happened to me a long time ago. No, Paul is very clear in Romans chapter 6. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. Old things have gone away. You say, well, Jonathan, what about the natural consequences of sin? Well, yes, you may suffer natural consequences of sinful choices and sinful actions that you have made. You may suffer those things. That may be a reality that you have to deal with. But that doesn't mean that you're subject to thinking according to the old ways. It doesn't mean that you are incapable of moving beyond those consequences. It doesn't mean you have to live paralyzed by them. I've met Christians who are paralyzed by things that happened to them in the past. And it's true that very traumatic and tragic things happen in the past. That's why when Jesus was talking to his disciples and he looked at the people who were downtrodden, distressed, and dispirited, he said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you have burdens from your past, you take those to Christ. If you have burdens from your past, you seek the Lord in prayer and say, how can I overcome these wrong thinking patterns? Paul had a very checkered past. It was a past that had many triumphs, but also many failures. And in Paul's past, he was, in some sense, the king of the Pharisees. He wasn't an actual king, but he was like the ultimate example of what a Pharisee was. Like if you were going to be a good Pharisee, if you were striving for Pharisaism, you would look at uh, the apostle Paul, whose name used to be Saul, and you would say, man, we got to be like that guy. That guy is really good. In his zeal for Pharisaism, he killed Christians. He separated families. He drugged them off to jail. Now, that's a horrible thing. I don't know very many people who 
are able to cope with that kind of trauma in their life. But Paul was. And what was the secret to that? The secret was, as he reveals in Philippians chapter 3, forgetting what lies behind, I press on for the mark of the high calling of God for the prize that is set before me. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 16, Paul explains his relationship to the past, his self-evaluation. I used to do all these things, but because of Christ and the transformation, the transforming power of the gospel, I don't think about these things anymore. I don't let them affect me. I don't let them control me. I don't let them be the parameters that my life is lived within. I have considered them to be rubbish. That means trash, something that can be thrown away, discarded. And he was not focused any longer on the past, even though he recognized what he did. He was focused on the present and the future. How can I maintain the same standard of godliness to which I have already achieved? How can I grow in that godliness? How can I know Christ and the power of his resurrection? You see, Paul performed a biblical self-evaluation, and he saw everything that he did in the past and said, that's not good. I shouldn't have done that. But that was before I knew Christ. I, I was a slave to sin. What can I say? My will was bound. I did what I thought was right, but my will was bound. I couldn't make any other choice. But now that I've been set free, now that I know the truth, now that the gospel has opened my eyes and removed the scales, now I can evaluate what happened to me in the past with a biblical perspective. Now I can evaluate how I'm living my life presently. And I can say, you know, this sin needs to change, or that sin needs to change, or I've reached this level of maturity and I don't want to go backwards, I want to continue to go forwards. That's a good and honest biblical self-evaluation. It's not morbid. It's not introspective. It's based on an objective standard. And so if if you have, I don't know, some kind of Christian self-help book on your bookshelf at home or you see one in a store, if they're not asking you to evaluate your life according to biblical standards, throw that book away. Get rid of it. You need to just go to the Word of God and read the Word of God and say, am I doing this? How would I rate myself on a scale of 1 to 10? It's not hard. In fact, there are many places in the New Testament that you should be able to go, that you can go, and just read the passage and say, am I doing these things? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's a good place to start. How am I? Am I loving? Am I patient? Am I kind? You know, we're not all of those things all the time, or we are all of those things, but to varying degrees of success, which fruit do you need to work on? Which fruit do you need to grow in? I would recommend starting with self-control because if you can have good self-control, that will help you in all the other areas. That will help you cultivate and develop other fruits. 
Who's going to help you with this biblical self-evaluation? Well, I would suggest if you're married, ask your spouse. Ask your spouse to go over some of these passages with you and talk with you about how can you do better as a man of God or as a woman of God? How can you improve? If you're not married, I would say find some good friends. Go talk to your pastor. Ask him to do a biblical evaluation of your life. I've had some people in my congregation come up and do that to me, and it's a wonderful thing that they do. I think it shows a lot of maturity. It takes a lot of humility. It keeps you honest, and it really reinforces a sense of fellowship and a sense of unity and a sense of we're in this together, not alone. We're together growing in Christ-likeness, encouraging one another to Christ-likeness. Now, why in a series on the doctrine of money would we stop and do this lesson or a podcast on biblical self-evaluation? Well, this is exactly what you're going to need to do if you're going to manage your finances according to the Word of God. If you really want to manage your finances according to the Word of God, you not only have to do a biblical self-evaluation, thinking through the character qualities that make you a good believer, that make you a believer who is pleasing to Christ, obeying his commands. But you have to do a biblical self-evaluation of your financial household. How do you think about money? How are you using money? What is your attitude towards money? And does it line up with what the Bible teaches? Again, I'm not trying to tell you how to budget or what to spend your money on. But what I think is that as we evaluate our money, we ought to be asking, are we seeking to give God the glory? Are we seeking to give God the glory or not? I think that's a legitimate question to ask. And if we answer it honestly, we may find, oh, you know, I don't really need that um, Starbucks this week. Maybe I don't really need to go out to eat twice this week. Maybe only one time because I want to use some of my money to either pay down debt. Maybe I want to, instead of me going out to eat by myself, maybe I want to uh, use some of that money to buy my child uh, something that they've been needing. Maybe I want to use that money for savings and put it aside for a future need that I don't know about right now. A biblical self-evaluation of your character qualities, of how well you're doing as a believer, is critically important. Because without that self-evaluation, how will you know that you're growing in Christ? You see, you should be able to look at your life from a year ago or two years ago or five years ago and say, man, you know, I, I really struggled in this particular area, but thanks to God, I've grown. I've done better. I've improved. I can see that I was too easily angered years ago, but now I'm not as easily angered. I still have a ways to go, but I can measure the growth in that virtue. And that's encouraging to you. That provides hope that what you're doing is correct, and it provides reassurance that you indeed are saved when you can see that type of growth in your life. You have done 
the working out of your salvation with fear and trembling. I would encourage you to do the same thing with your financial house. How have you spent your money? What have been your priorities? How do you think about giving glory to God through the utilization of your resources? So I think there's a lot more that I could say about biblical self-evaluation, but I would encourage you, get in the scriptures yourself. Do some study. Think about how you're living and what the Bible says about how you're living. Now, this is something that if you go back to the Tom Brady example he does on a weekly basis, I think it should be a regular part of your prayer and devotional time. Really evaluate, are you doing what the Word of God says? It's so easy to fall into ruts. It's so easy to become complacent, to not be proactive. And I would just really encourage you and challenge you to do the best that you can according to the truth that you know, and then to be continually refining the truth that you know, to be growing in that so that your best keeps getting better, so that your best leads to greater maturity in Christ. Well, thanks again for spending some of your time uh, digesting this podcast, and I hope that it's not just for the sake of digestion, but it's for the sake of practice as well. I'm really trying hard to give you guys some content that will be practical in your life and some ways to do what the Bible teaches. If you've enjoyed this, I would encourage you to go to uh, your iTunes or your Google Play app or whatever app it is that you're using to check out this podcast and just go down to the rating section and click five stars. Just click five stars. Um, You don't have to leave a review, but the star review is really important. It will help this podcast come up quicker when people search for podcasts on doctrine and theology, etc. And I want to give a shout out to Stephen Lore and the S. Lore Music Group. They are an independent in-home studio that specializes in writing, recording, mixing, and mastering. You can find them on Facebook or email at slore.musicgroup at gmail.com. Thanks again for their production work on the podcast. If you want to check out our local church, come visit us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. for our main worship service, 9.30 a.m. if you want to come for Sunday school. We are the Grace Brethren Chapel, www.gbchapel.org. God bless.